Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode five of the Mind Body Mastery podcast. Thanks for sticking along with me. It's really cool that you're still listening. And please, if you've gotten this far in the podcast and you've enjoyed anything you've heard, please help me out by leaving a super sweet review on iTunes. This will help us reach more people, and it really warms my little heart besides. So, and if you don't want to write a review, um, then maybe share this podcast or this episode with a friend or relative if you think that it might speak to them. And today we'll be speaking about childhood trauma and how it affects us into our adulthood. So we'll get right into it. And so the way we were treated in childhood has literally everything to do with our health in our adulthood. Modern science is still catching up. Um, in other countries, I feel like it's more common for physicians to ask what happened to you rather than what's wrong with you. And so we really have, in the United States at least, an entire medical establishment that treats the effects rather than the cause. This keeps us in a constant state of searching for answers while trying innumerable solutions that generally have only a temporary level of relief. So before we begin today, I just want to revisit a little bit that I briefly mentioned in episode two that discussed the ACE study. Now, if you haven't taken the ACE quiz or questionnaire, um, I'll still put it in the show notes. I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, but I'm going to go through it right now, and you can kind of follow along to determine your ACE score. And um, so I'm going to go ahead and start the survey. It is uh, 10 questions long, and so it won't take too long, but really it's just a one point for yes and zero for no. So this is all for experiences prior to your 18th birthday. Number one. Did a parent or another adult in the household often or very often swear at you, insult you, put you down, or hum humiliate you, or act in a way that made you afraid that you might be physically hurt? Number two, did a parent or another adult in the household often or very often push, grab, slap, or throw something at you? or ever hit you so hard that you had marks or were injured? If yes, enter one. Did an adult or person at least five years older than you ever touch or fondle you or have you touch their body in a sexual way or attempt to touch you or touch you inappropriately or sexually abuse you? Enter one for yes. Number four, did you often or very often feel that no one in your family loved you or thought you were important or special or feel that your family members didn't look out for one another, feel close to one another or support one another? If yes, enter one. Did you often or very often feel that you didn't have enough to eat, you had to wear dirty clothes and had no one to protect you? or that your parents were too drunk or high to take care of you or take you to the doctor if you needed it? If yes, enter one. Number six, was a biological parent ever lost to you through divorce, abandonment, or another reason? If yes, enter one. 
Was your mother, stepmother, um, often or very often pushed, grabbed, slapped, or have something thrown at her? Or was she sometimes often or very often kicked, bitten, hit with a fist, or hit with something hard, or ever repeatedly hit over the course of the last few minutes, uh, over the course of at least a few minutes, or threatened with a gun or a knife? If yes, enter one. Number eight, did you live with anyone who was a problem drinker or alcoholic or used street drugs? If yes, enter one. Number nine, was a household member depressed or mentally ill, or did a household member ever attempt suicide? If yes, enter one. And number 10, did a, a household member ever go to prison? If yes, enter one. So now take a moment to kind of ask yourself, could these experiences be affecting your well-being, whether physical, emotional, or mental? And so as we go along with the episode today, I want you to just keep your score in mind as I proceed. Um, you just might find out that this is the missing link to understanding why your health just doesn't seem to be where you'd like it to be. So just a little background on the ACE study. In 1985, um, physician and researcher at the Kaiser Permanente um, Institute, Vincent Felitti, noticed a really startling pattern in his adult patients who struggled with obesity. Um, and he noticed that they also reported traumatic incidents in their childhoods. And so after he kind of came to this realization almost entirely by accident, he saw with the support of his team that the patients enrolled in his obesity program were now able to lose successfully hundreds of pounds a year non-surgically. So he began to interview this patient population more thoroughly and discovered that a striking number of them had been abused either sexually, physically, or emotionally, and that eating kind of just became their way of self-soothing. And the weight also served as kind of a shield against unwanted physical attention, um, which later on in adulthood, they definitely didn't want to let go of. He discovered that even though this was an obvious physical symptom, that it was not the root problem to be treated any more than smoke is the core problem in house fires. So this initial group sparked the study that would soon be known as the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study, or the ACE study, which would look at more than just obesity, but a real wide range of health problems. Felitti asked 26,000 patients if they'd participate in the study, and more than 17,000 agreed. They found that two-thirds of the participants answered yes to one or more categories in the ACE quiz. 40% had two or more, and one in eight had four or more. Felitti was really deeply affected by the results, and was quoted saying that our findings exceeded anything we could have ever conceived. The correlation between having a difficult childhood and facing illness as an adult offers a whole new lens through which we could view human health and disease. Here was the missing piece as to what was causing so much of our unspoken suffering as humans. 
And through this study, we learned that, in fact, time does not heal all wounds. We don't simply just get over things. And now we can come to realize that time just represses these wounds for the most part and the feelings surrounding them and the energy that it takes to keep these traumas repressed leads to a situation where our brains are essentially converting the emotional experience from childhood into chronic disease later on in life. Autoimmune illnesses, heart disease, chronic bowel disease, depression, anxiety, migraines, um, persistent pain are some of the most common, but there's many more. Childhood trauma damages us on an actual cellular level in ways that prematurely age our cells and affects our health into adulthood. There were some studies done at Duke, uh, the University of California at San Francisco, and Brown, which showed that children exposed to early life stressors or trauma showed greater erosion in what is known as the telomeres, which are like little protective covers on our DNA strands. And the more eroded our telomeres become, the more likely we are to age faster and develop disease. Children who lost a parent early on or children who faced emotional or physical abuse or experienced neglect or witnessed marital discord are way more likely to develop cardiovascular disease, lung disease, diabetes, headaches, MS, and lupus as adults. Facing these difficulties early on increases our chances of having chronic fatigue syndrome by 600% as an adult. And kids who lose a parent have a three times higher risk of developing depression and anxiety as an adult. And kids whose parents divorce are two times more likely to suffer a stroke at some point. So long story short, big traumas affect us in big ways. But really every child, even if not overtly neglected or abused, gets hurt in ways that they perceive to be traumatic from their level of experience at the time of the event. When parents argue or are chronically stressed around their kids, when parents are critical of their kids or expect a lot from them early on, these more subtle experiences can definitely also lead to pain later on in life. Schoolyard bullying, taunting, teasing by siblings, or simply just not feeling close to or loved by the family unit can be a huge contributing factor. So although all of our experiences are different and there's a certain scale of trauma, all of our traumas matter and all of our traumas are relative to our current perception at the time. So something very little for some person can be very big for another person. So just don't discount your trauma as not being traumatic enough. It's all, it's all relative. And 
They found that in studies conducted in mice, dogs, and monkeys, unfortunately, stressful experiences at an early age can cause hyperactivity of the autonomic nervous system, which, as I mentioned in earlier episodes, is the primary brain component responsible for the development of TMS, or mind-body syndrome. The fight-or-flight area of your brain is also known as the amygdala, and the amygdala remembers and stores childhood hurts and is easily triggered into adulthood. So a lot of times our triggering situations now are actual revisits of these earlier traumas, whether or not we realize it. So a lot of times, yeah, the events from our childhood that create this emotional priming are super subtle. So just be aware of the events in current life that lead to kind of an emotional triggering for you. And if you can kind of sit with that trigger and go back and ask yourself, is there a situation from way long ago that was the impetus for this to be a triggering event? And that's really what triggers are. Triggers are just an opportunity to integrate an experience that we have yet to integrate. So that's why a lot of times we'll be faced with very similar situations that keep showing up in our lives. And until we integrate the the emotional, mental, and physical aspects of that event or trauma or experience, we're going to keep having the opportunity to revisit it later on in life. And so every time a pain comes up, it's really quite an opportunity to kind of learn more about yourself, even if it is unpleasant. But if we can reframe our pain in a way that turns it into an opportunity rather than a burden, um, then we can begin to heal a little bit faster without the resistance that, um, you know, thinking of it as a burdened burden um, resonate or creates. So another thing to keep in mind is this. If we had parents that were hard on us, we often end up with a super strict inner parent in adulthood where we consistently berate ourselves, we feel guilty, we self-criticize, we have a low self-esteem, high self-expectations, super extreme responsibility for others, and we often engage in self-sacrificing behavior. And if you have read Sarno yet, you'll find that all of these personality traits are personality traits that contribute to that inner reservoir of anger, because really what child wants to be self-sacrificing or have self-esteem issues or just has to be the one to take care of everybody else. You know, we all want to be taken care of. And so when we're the ones that are taking care of everybody else all the time, it creates that unconscious little bit of anger that we often aren't even aware of. So childhood hurts affect the inner child. And this natural reaction of the inner child is typically like a tantrum. So anger, resentment, and often fear. There are lots of somatic exercises that we can do to reprocess trauma, and I'll guide you through an exercise at the end of today's episode. But first, I just want to mention that sometimes it's really best if we attempt our healing with the help of a well-trained professional. 
sometimes our stuff is hard to see on our own. And so therapy can uncover major areas of our beings that are unconscious, fearful, or disconnected. Therapists are generally super skilled at pointing out our the lies we tell ourselves, the subtle movements or gestures or emotions that we are totally unconscious of. And in a safe therapeutic environment, we can begin to feel a security that may not have been felt early on in life. And so the therapist can serve as a, a safe, neutral third party that we can feel safe around, which can be super important to begin our healing process. So very often healing can begin through simple acknowledgement of the connection between childhood hurts and symptoms. Simply affirming to yourself, saying, I understand that this trauma or story or event was super difficult, and I acknowledge that it is connected to what is happening to me right now. This very affirmation can be the therapeutic witness your inner child has been waiting for for so very long. So become aware, accepting that this can lead to monumental shifts in your experience. When you allow your inner child to then say what he or she has wanted to say about the situation in a safe space, like a journaling session, this can bring the awareness and healing into concrete format. And so now I'm going to read you a quote from Childhood Disrupted, which is a book that I think you should all invest in if you had a particularly challenging childhood. It was written by Donna Jackson Nakazawa, and it is fantastic. The audiobook version is also very good um, and well narrated, which I think is super important with audiobooks. So it's a really nice narration to listen to. So um, so now I'm just going to read a little bit about writing to heal, which is on page 157 of the book. And so it starts, Bernie Siegel, MD, often uses the writing to heal exercise in workshops. Recently, he asked a group of high schoolers to write themselves letters on the topic of why you love yourself. Then he had them write letters to themselves on a more bracing topic why they might want to end their lives. Siegel wanted students to see at the end of the experiment that the pile of pages the entire group of teens had written on why they thought they should commit suicide was five times higher than the pile on why they thought they should love themselves. It was only at that point, once they knew they were not alone with their painful emotions, that they were able to not lie about what it was that they felt and start creating lives for themselves, says Siegel. He learned in his 30 years in as, as an assistant clinical professor of general and pediatric surgery at Yale that whether your story is about having met with emotional pain or physical pain, the important thing is to take the lid off those feelings. When you keep your emotions repressed, that's when the body starts to get your attention because you aren't paying attention. Our childhood is stored up in our bodies and one day the body will present its bill. Felitti often asked patients, before you come back for your next appointment, start sending me a detailed history of your life. Studies show that writing about stressful experiences not only helps patients get better, it keeps them from getting worse. 
James Pennebaker, PhD, psychology professor at the University of Texas at Austin, developed this simple assignment. Over the next four days, write down your deepest emotions and thoughts about the emotional upheaval that has been influencing your life the most. In your writing, really let go and explore the event and how it has affected you. You might tie this experience to your childhood, your relationship with your parents, people you have loved or love now, or even your career. Write continuously for 20 minutes a day. According to Pennebaker, even short-term focus writing can have a beneficial effect. For instance, when students were asked to write to heal, their grades went up. When individuals wrote about emotional upheavals, they went to the doctor less and showed changes in the immune function. The exercise of simply writing about your secrets, even if you destroy your writing immediately afterward, has been shown to have a positive effect on health, even for people battling life-threatening diseases. So beyond writing to heal, if you're more artistic, you can even choose to draw pictures as a means to bring forth wounds to be processed. You can choose to draw your family or a landscape and just see what images come up. But when you're done with your drawing for the day, put it away and bring it back out the next day to analyze it. As if you were interpreting like symbols in a dream and see if anything kind of strikes you. So, and then a third thing that I would try is mindful, mindfulness meditation, which can also work to heal our old wounds. Meditation time and time again has shown to decrease our inflammatory hormones as well as elicit a faster cortisol recovery after a stressful thought or moment. We can even strengthen areas of the brain that were weakened by childhood adversity, like frontal lobe and hippocampus regions. Our telomeres have even been shown to regenerate after mindfulness meditation. So as you practice meditation, just keep in mind, there's no need to expect great strides at first. Simply sit, eyes closed, as you consciously let go of tension in your shoulders, limbs, trunk, and just watch the movement of your breath. Try to breathe through the lower abdomen through your nose, and know that it's totally normal to have thoughts race through the mind while you do this. So it's kind of, in my opinion, beneficial to start small. Start with five minutes, and if you have a hard time getting through the five minutes, maybe start with two, and just kind of gradually increase. So whenever your session feels like um, it flew by, then add a couple more minutes, add five more minutes or so. Practicing forgiveness of self and others, as well as seeing someone for body work or taking up yoga can all be super helpful tools as well to put into your self-care box. Guided imagery is also super powerful. As I mentioned in an earlier episode, I can't remember if it was two or three, what we imagine about our bodies tends to impact our symptoms on a day-to-day -day basis. When I was hurting every day, it felt like my spine was crumbling. It felt like there was tissue pushing on nerves that was creating a, a ripple effect throughout my back and legs. And so 
When I envisioned that very phenomenon, it kept me hurting, I believe, much longer than I needed to be. So to demonstrate now now how powerful guided imagery is, I want you to just imagine that you're holding a fresh, ripe lemon in your hand. Imagine that you're taking a sharp knife to that lemon and slicing it into segments on a cutting board. Take one of those segments and just gently squeeze it so that a little juice squirts out. Now raise it to your lips and let a few drops hit the roof of your mouth and tongue. So by now you're likely salivating. Your brain literally interprets this imagining as a real happening. Athletes use this all the time. And nowadays we even see it play out on sports on television. The other day I was watching a golf thing. It was like a kid's golf pitch pit well, pitch, chip, and putt um, competition between these like nine and eight, seven, eight, nine, ten year olds. And you could see the kids taking a moment before doing their shot of just sitting there and closing their eyes, centering themselves, and visualizing the outcome. And even the announcers were talking about how they were visualizing the shot. It's long been known that athletes do this. It was all over the book, um, Psycho-Cybernetics by Maltz, which I recommend. Um, and so, so yeah, so what you imagine can happen in real life. When I imagined that my spine was sturdy, it was literally a momentary shift of my, of my imagination. When Sarno said in Healing Back Pain, he was like, your back is the sturdiest part of your body. My my imagery of my spine went from being one of a crumbling, deteriorating, herniating mess to it all kind of just clinking into place. It was like my my new vision of my spine was totally different. And the next day I was pain-free. So it's that powerful. And so if you're sitting there with your symptoms and you're imagining what's actually happening on an inner level, try to notice that when you do that and shift it to something that is sturdy and powerful and strong and full of light. You know, if we kind of bring a nice white healing or blue light into the situation, we can often replace what's normally seen as red, hot, angry, um, and just kind of start to replace those images in your mind's eye. I think you'll notice a big shift. And so finally, I want to kind of guide you guys through what's called somatic experiencing. Somatic experiencing is a term that was coined by Peter Levine, and it helps us to kind of just focus on sensations in our bodies. It's a way of tending to ourselves. And Levine kind of started his somatic experiencing journey when he noticed that animals in the wild rebound pretty rapidly from life-threatening situations after being frozen by fear. After the threat passes, they discharge the, the tension by kind of shaking it off and their breathing pattern resets, which then resets the autonomic nervous system to come back to baseline. Somatic experiencing is kind of just a safe 
way for us to discharge all of our stored emotions and sensations so that we too can come back to baseline. So if you're driving right now or if you're busy or if you're doing something, hit pause and come back to this portion and do it at a time when you can kind of sit quietly without distractions. So I'll let you hit pause. Okay. And so now I just want you to sit comfortably. You can have your feet on the floor, or you can sit cross-legged on the couch, or you can even lay if that's the most comfortable position for you. And what we're doing here is we're just kind of teaching the inner child within us or the primitive brain that we are safe. We are safe to look at the sensations in our body. We are safe to follow it around almost as if we're exploring a cave for the first time. So I just want you to close your eyes and bring attention to the physical sensations in your body. Describe them. If it's anxiety, describe, describe how, where you're feeling the anxiety. If it's Sadness, describe where you're feeling the sadness. If it's pain, describe the pain. Is it widespread or focused? Is it unpleasant? Is it pleasant? Is it tightness, fluttering, sharp, shooting? Is it dull or achy? Pay attention to physical sensations and don't try to change them. Just watch them like a curious child. We're not doing anything but paying attention to our bodies. We're just bringing awareness and letting our minds kind of follow it around. There's no goal. There's no ulterior motive. We're just tending to ourselves. You can go ahead and breathe in and out. Again, just observing. There's no need to do here. Just kind of watch the sensations in your body as if you're on a snorkeling adventure. Whatever happens, whatever you witness, it's okay. We're not trying to change it. We're just sitting with it, riding along with it, and watching it with a detached sense of curiosity. Your mind may wander, and that's okay. All you need to do to succeed is just watch it. Pay attention. Isn't it nice to be paid attention to? Just take this time to attend to you. Now I want you to go back to a memory. Something maybe traumatic, maybe just a little, little sad. A time in your life when you were young. You could have been four, five years old, nine, ten. 
Go back to a time when you remember being upset. Now I want you to remember what was happening. Were you alone? Were you with someone? Are you scared of that person? Now I want you to bring in a new person to that visualization. It could be your current older self, could be an angel, could be a spirit guide, could be a trusted advisor, could be a friend. And imagine that person is sitting right next to the younger version of you and have that person, you know, put their arm around you and tell you that you're safe. You are safe. And the person that is hurting you or the situation that is hurting you can no longer hurt you. Now that your trusted friend is there. And just kind of sit there with your trusted friend and know that you grow up to be a strong, surviving adult and that it's all going to be okay. What happened was not okay, but you're going to be okay. And so now drop back into your body and reassess where it's going now. And as you do this, you literally develop new brain pathways, new neural pathways that attend to yourself, that soothe your inner child. And you teach yourself to face these danger signals. Now kind of check in and see, did the pain move? Is it in a new spot? Did the quality of the pain change? And just kind of keep attending to your physical sensations without judgment and watch what happens. Remember, there's no goal. This is not an exercise to eliminate pain, although it can. We are just being with ourselves, perhaps for the first time. And so you can open your eyes now and just kind of sit in the integration of that memory, of the pain, and know that you are now safe. In this moment, you are safe. When I was at a pain seminar last May with Dr. Howard Schubiner and Alan Gordon, um, one of the simplest exercises that we did was just a kind of an affirmation that just let us know that we're safe. So if ever you find yourself freaking out about pain or sensations in your body, just take a moment to tend to yourself. So just drop into this space where you're just 
being with yourself and being with the pain without condition and almost just kind of releasing your resistance to it. So you can kind of drop, drop your eyes closed and put your hand on your heart and repeat over and over again. I am safe. I am safe. All the while breathing deeply into your lower abdomen as a way to reset the autonomic nervous system. So deep breath into the lower abdomen. I am safe. All right, everybody. Thank you guys so much for lugging along with me on this podcast. I hope to have guests on the show soon, still working on um, interview formatting and all of that. So stay tuned for some of that. And let me know what you guys think. If you guys like it at all, um, feel free to leave a review on iTunes. And if you don't like it, send me an email and tell me what I can do to improve. I am hoping to just deliver you guys um, all the best that I can offer. And I do it with love and respect for all. So thank you guys so much for tuning in today. I really appreciate it. And we'll see you guys next time. Thank you.